Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me today Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Dingothy. Hello. And the regal pigeon himself, Max Roberts. Hey, how's it going? We're Book Club of Games. And today we are. Today we're going to talk about Neophyte. Neophyte, a game from Regal Pigeon, originally released 2nd of January 2022 on itch.io for $1 as part of the quarterly made games Hong Kong, and then came to Steam Early Access 31st August 2022. And we have Max, the dev of Neophyte, here with us today, who has very kindly agreed to be interviewed and answer some questions about the development of the game how he feels about the game post-launch and where it may go in the future. So, I mean, Neophyte, I describe it as a roguelike synergy building arena shooter with a magic theme. You've got three different arenas with five rounds each, and after each round, you can pick new emblems, which are kind of like perks, spells, which are your abilities, or stat upgrades. And you're putting together your ideal build to try and make it through the final wave and become a master wizard. A uh, single game, it takes about 30 minutes. So, Max, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, about your background? Yeah, so I have a full-time job, um, nine to five sort of thing. Uh, I work in insurance claims. I've been doing uh, the same job for six years, so I am definitely ready to quit as soon as I can. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so part of the reason I stayed in the job for so long was because I originally wanted to be an illustrator. Um, so I was like, okay, I can just do this job and do illustration in my free time. But that didn't really pan out. And then my attention switched to game dev. And yeah, I've been loving it so far. I don't think I've ever actually like worked hard at anything except for game dev. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Well, it's really interesting. I didn't know about the illustrator angle because obviously since i've known you to me like your pixel art has been the thing but illustration i guess is a little bit different yeah so i've you know when i was younger i mainly did ink on paper illustrations uh, and then i moved to digital a little bit and it was the kind of thing where i would spend maybe like a month or two really intensely like drawing every day and then i'll take a break from like for like three or six months i'll just get tired of it and then I moved to game dev, and I, I actually haven't done any pixel art until I started getting into game dev. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that gives me a little bit more of an edge when it comes to like making art uh, for games. 
but yeah, other than that, I had no previous like programming experience or anything like that. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, because obviously, yeah, your artwork is very striking and it has quite a quite a style to it. Oh, thank you. So, uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting because I think I don't think I've actually really seen any of your illustration work. Only only the pixel stuff, but uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll send you a link or something. Um, but I haven't drawn in a long time. Okay. And then on the game dev stuff, you know, what have you made before Neophyte? Okay, yeah. So before Neophyte, I made, um, or I was working on a game called Bombhead, previously called, God, what did I call it? I think I called it like Bomb King or something. I don't know. It was one of the, it was like my first project, uh, first big project, I'd say. And like, I was kind of working on it on and off for like two to three years. And it was one of those things where I probably should have abandoned it way earlier, but I was just kind of stubborn and yeah, just keep on working on it and then like take a break, go back to it. And um, I would redesign everything like the level design systems, like the art, and it was just going nowhere. So I eventually decided to just cut it and just, you know, start something new entirely. Uh, before that, I I made like a couple of prototypes, but nothing that I would have spent more than say like three weeks or a month on. Is it because Bombhead used to be on your itch page as well? I remember, like I I because I've actually played it, but I, I I can understand that. Yeah, you've taken it down. Obviously, you want a more coherent and professional presence now. You've actually got you know a successful game released. Yeah. So that that Bombhead game on my itch page was a, a playtesting demo. Uh, it, you know, it was completely free. Uh, I didn't sell it and it was just get sort of feedback. And uh, the game itself was kind of weird. I, I didn't really have like a design idea going into it. All I knew was like, I kind of like top down perspective. I really liked Enter the Gungeon at the time. I still do. But yeah, so I was like, I just want to make a top down game that has like a unique spin on combat. And I think it was a little, uh, I don't know. It, it was hard to explain. I think it was a little hard to grasp. It was just a, a bit weird. And yeah, so I just, I dropped it at the end of the day. Yeah, I do, I do remember still that, you know, again, it, it looked good. It had a, a striking look and style and the combat was quite unique and different. But yeah, again, I think it maybe was quite hard to explain or quite unapproachable for some people anyway. Yeah, it was it was much harder than Neophyte to give like a you know one or two sentence um, pitch on. And then, what were your inspirations for Neophyte? Yeah, so the despite what a lot of people think, the game was not inspired by Vampire Survivors, uh, yeah. which actually came out. I I don't know if this is right, but I think it came out around the same time, maybe a little bit earlier than the original itch version of Neophyte. I think it came out in like late December. Neophyte was like, at, uh, you know, January 2nd, I think you said, which is funny, I actually don't remember the exact date. But yeah, I, 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 lo- I looked it year. up. I looked okay, it up, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll trust you on that. Um, so yeah, the main inspiration was actually uh, Diablo 3. Like, you know, despite what people say, like, I, I love the combat in that game. I love how, you know, you can pick up like a legendary item or like a, you, you like unlock a rune and it can completely, you can just completely build um change your build to fit around that one thing. And I, like my goal with Neophyte was to sort of capture that feeling. Because like I, I love that part of Diablo, but I, I think the early game is really grindy. And then the late game is like, you know, just as grindy, but you're not getting new stuff uh, nearly as frequently. So I wanted to capture that. And then like a roguelike sort of setting, I think I just thought that'd be such a perfect uh, thing that I would want to play um, over and over again. 
Wow, you know, now you say that, yeah, I can see it. It's yeah. it's funny because obviously I was imagining that. I mean, not vampire survivors, but like I was imagining it was going to be one of those other kind of synergy arena type shooter games. But yeah, I can definitely see the Diablo three kind of concept now that you've said it with you know the left click, right click, and the the you know some of the some of the spells. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you know, obviously, I'm a big fan of uh, Binding of Isaac, Enter the Gungeon. Enter the Gungeon is probably, like, my single biggest inspiration for getting into game dev in the first place. Um, and I definitely took some inspiration from those games. Uh, but yeah, Diablo 3, like, I went into this project being like, I want to capture, try to capture that um, aspect of Diablo 3. Yeah, I mean, I, and I can definitely see it with the spells. Although I, I do think you've, like, surpassed Diablo 3 with a lot of stuff. Like, I, you know, I love the emblems system and, and the stat boosting stuff. I think it's very clever and just you know how you've split those out into distinct things in a way that kind of helps smooth out some of the stuff that's annoying in games like the binding of isaac where you know like there's 600 items but half of them are annoying stat boosts you know so you know now you know when you're getting an emblem it's going to be something well actually no you've got stat boost emblems too but at least they're like impactful you know yeah yeah no like definitely that was a very conscious decision as well you know Maybe this is more of a sort of design side chat thing, but like, I'm always conscious when building emblems of like cognitive load. Like, you know, you can come up with like some really cool, interesting, um, emblems or perks or whatever you want to call them. And, um, that's cool. But if you have like, you know, more than three or four of those, it becomes really tricky to use them all effectively. And I find that when you try to use them all effectively, you end up taking more damage and you're, you're you're not focusing more on like the core fundamentals of the game and you end up like taking way more damage and dying this is something that happens to me when i play like the binding of isaac and i get like maybe a few too many wacky uh items and yeah it just it becomes way too difficult to sort of focus on everything yeah fo- focusing on the zane versus like competence exactly yeah max what's your game design philosophy stroke priority um, yeah, so this is interesting. Uh, I've never, uh, I'm still quite early on to my, uh, into my game development career. Uh, so I haven't really nailed down what my core philosophy is. Um, I, I feel like even calling well, my ideas of philosophy is, is a bit strong, but like what my goals for game design, I would say is like, I just want to make something that I would want to play something fun. Uh, you know, that's ethical, like nothing that's like addictive <laughs> or anything like that. Um, <laughs> Something like, yeah, that's replayable, that's fun, that you can finish in like an afternoon, uh, not even an afternoon, like uh, 30 minutes to an hour, um, no more than that. And yeah, I, I, I guess that's th- uh, that's my goal. Okay, okay. And then what about your process? What what do you focus on first, at second, third? And then, you know, what do you leave to the end? Right. Uh, yeah, so when I start making a game, I focus on like the core game loop i i, I think of uh, when it comes to game development I, I think of things on a very very like mechanical level like um i think like how what will the what buttons will the will the player be pressing um like what choices will they make uh, what conflicts might arise you know how do you prevent the player from optimizing the fun out of the game that sort of thing so with like neophyte my my process was um First, you know, making the spell casting system, getting the player, getting the movement sorted out, which was actually, uh, it ended up not being 
that difficult, like the movement and collision side of things, which are typically very uh, tricky things to handle. Um, those weren't too difficult, mainly because I had spent so long on Bombhead, which is a similar sort of perspective. And so I could reuse a lot of the systems from that. And yeah, going forward, uh, I'm, I'm going to be use, like reusing a lot of the same systems. It just saves a lot of time. You can tweak them here and there. And uh, yeah, it just makes development so much faster. So yeah, I just got the, the character moving, tried to get the spells, um, spellcasting feeling good. Uh, and again, I took a lot of inspiration from Diablo 3. There are a few GDC talks. Uh, I think one of them, I can't remember the name of it. I really should have looked it up before this. But it, it, they were talking about specifically the spellcasting system and like how they, uh, you know, prioritize certain spells over others and, and that sort of thing. So that was what I really tried to nail down first uh, after that. Because I originally made this project as part of like a, a a game development collective where we would all try to make a game in in three months and then whatever you have you'd release it. My I, I guess this sort of ties into my game design philosophy as well now, which is making focusing on the core game loop and everything else around that. Try to make that as simple as simple as you possibly can, and then if you think that it needs to be more complicated, then then you can go back and redesign those systems. If I go back to Bombhead, for example, I kept on going back and forth on, should it have a Slay the Spire uh, type level progression? Should it have a simple linear progression where you just go from like one room to the next and then you reach the end? Should I have like a Binding of Isaac style dungeon system? And these are all things I implemented in the game. I kept on going back and forth on. And so this game, I was like, I'm just going to do the simplest thing possible. Which is why I think uh, people think it was inspired by Vampire Survivors, because the simplest thing possible is really like a wave-based <laughs> single arena sort of environment that that's really the simplest way to do it and i just wanted to focus all on combat so yeah the spells the emblems and all of that once i had everything in the core gameplay loop then i made the menus i it really wasn't fun i really tried to force myself to make all the menus like the credits menu the the settings menu a victory screen a defeat screen all that sort of stuff so that i could spend the rest of my time again we had a three-month deadline I could spend the rest of that time just fleshing out the content as much as possible. And I found that to be a really uh, a really fun way to develop games for me. So you did release something after the three months? I did, yeah, to my surprise. I did. Yeah, that first version of Neophyte was like three months work. That's <laughs> why I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm like, yeah, impressed and disgusted and jealous. <laughs> <That's all laughs> Again, I, I had so many systems ready to go. Like I had the camera system, collisions, movement, kind of a, a state-based uh, enemy AI approach. So all that stuff was ready to go. And even like a, a way of implementing passive like perks, right? Like, you know, oh, when you cast a basic spell, this happens. Like I had those kind of systems ready to go, which made it a lot faster. Yeah, because the thing is like, none of this stuff comes for free. Like... Mm -hmm. I mean, actually, you're using Game Maker. Yeah. I, so I, I don't know. I mean, some, the thing is, like, these engines, some things do come for free. And I don't know what the things that come for free in Game Maker are, but I don't think it's any of these things, right? So Yeah, true. Uh, one of the things that does come for free, which I found so funny when I was watching you, uh, you know, we have little, like, game dev meetups uh, every now and then. I remember you were um, trying to figure out how to make, like, sprites animate in Unity. And I'm like, dude, in oh, Game geez, Maker, yeah. you just implement, like, you just... Uh, import the sprite sheet and it just runs for you you set like the the frames per second um yeah like like the animation speed and that's it you're good to go yeah i i think for making a, a 2d sprite based game yeah game maker definitely 
big force amplifier versus something like Unity, where it's kind of an afterthought. Well, maybe afterthought's too strong a word, but yeah, it's definitely not its forte. Yeah, I, I, I haven't really used Unity, but I will say I, I can't give enough. I can't recommend Game Maker enough if you're looking to make like a 2D pixel art game. Yeah, but I, I do remember seeing like your pro because you you post little progress gifs on this you know on a on a discord we we're both in and yeah seeing some of the stuff you were saying like oh I've, I've made this system of like passive you know stat boosts and you're showing like dragging and dropping you know basically items into an inventory i guess this is the precursor to the emblem system and yeah i was thinking like wow you're really going for it like are you really going to get this done in three months <laughs> and then, um, well yeah you did yeah, uh, I, oh yeah, I remember that. So that was uh, the inventory system was very Diablo-esque. Um, and I decided to simplify from there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, 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 I did really go for it. In fact, my my performance at my job was really slipping. I was spending most of my work days like programming on Notepad, um, so I could like go home and copy and paste it into Game Maker. <laughs> Actually, was this during COVID as well? Did yeah. you get to work from home? Yeah, so, yeah, oh my god, uh, obviously this is an audio thing, but in the biggest air quotes possible, yeah, I was working from home. Um, there were some days where I would make, I would send maybe one or, you know, if I'm ambitious, two emails in a day, and the rest of the, rest of the day I was just, like, making sprites, programming, all that sort of stuff. So that was, honestly, if it wasn't for COVID, you know, shouts out to COVID, I don't think I would have gotten the game done <laughs> in three months. The one good thing that came from COVID... <laughs> So to understand the timeline, you started development on Neophyte in October 2021. Correct. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just to give a bit of background, I guess. Me and Max both know this other guy, Johnson, who's actually, he's written into this podcast before. And Johnson organized this thing called Courtly Made Games Hong Kong. And the idea was to get a bunch of Hong Kong game devs together and try and, you know, make us all commit to do a small project and release it every quarter because you know the most important thing is to ship it right and neophyte is certainly the most successful thing to come out of that you know group of devs but you know there are other devs in the group and and they have all been releasing stuff too and you know even i released some stuff although it was kind of crap but you know yeah i, I think um you know, I, I think my game got uh, picked up by a couple of indie uh, YouTubers, which are, you know, Retromation and Alexa and a couple of others, who, which are really like, in my opinion, like the lifeblood of like really small indie developers. They just, they can get so much attention on games and they play so many different games. But yeah, in the, in the little like game dev, uh, quarterly made games, uh, Hong Kong group. Yeah, there are a lot of cool people in there making cool stuff. I, I think a lot of people in there weren't really intending on, you know, making something that would, they would really release. I think they just wanted to make like some prototypes that they would like finish, which was actually my intention as well originally. But then, yeah, because it got picked up a little bit, I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is something people will like. So, I'll, you know, flesh it out a bit more. G going back a little bit onto the creation of the game. So, you are a solo dev. The, the whole game basically is your creation. So what would you say are the challenges of making a commercial game as a solo dev? Or, or making a game that maybe you didn't even intend to be like a successful commercial game, but, you know, as a solo dev? Yeah, so obviously the, the difficult thing is that everything has to be done by you, 
right? So if you're like, ah,、oh, you know, I don't really feel like doing、uh, audio, or I don't really feel like doing sprites, nobody's going to pick up the slack for you. You eventually have to get it done, which is fine in the early stages of development. But I think I could have gotten the game released faster. Maybe not in the initial itch.io release, but the Steam release, I could have gotten it done a lot faster if I was more. Disciplined, or I, I guess, like, because、uh, there were times、uh, towards the end of development where there was nothing left to do but audio, and that's like、mm. I, I would say my least favorite part of game development is like making sound effects. It's really satisfying once you actually have sounds in the game; it feels a lot more complete. But in my like for me, I just don't really enjoy it that much, so I just put it off, put it off. Maybe like、oh, I'll make another few emblems, another、uh, another few spells, or something like that. So I, I would say prioritization is one of the biggest challenges,、um, where you really have to remind yourself and keep telling yourself, "Look, there are certain things that you do have to do. Like the finished game has to have it has to have X, Y, and Z. So you you just need to get it done,、uh, and then you can focus on the fun stuff after that. Other than that,、uh, yeah, like I think making all the sprites and animations is probably the most the single most time consuming aspect of it. So, not so much a challenge, but I, I guess a tip I would give is just to try to make that as easy as possible for yourself. So, for me, I didn't have any movement,、uh, moving animations. I personally find warp cycles to be really difficult,、uh, and I think a lot of people agree. So, I just kind of have the sprites sort of bounce up and down using code, and in the heat of action, especially, I, I think it looks fine. <laughs> so, I, I put all my focus really into making spell effects. And、um, yeah, like like the, the visual sprite effects,、uh, attack animations, so that the player knows like an enemy is going to attack. Those sorts of things. So yeah, you know, just make it as easy as as possible for yourself. Prioritize、uh, the things that are most important. There was another thing I was going to say that was a challenge, but it slipped my mind while I was talking about all of that. So maybe I'll. <laughs> oh, oh, <no. laughs> it, was, it was something that was quite important as well. <laughs> Okay, maybe we'll come back to you in the next few moments. Yeah, hopefully. How much time would you spend on the project over a week? Like, where in the week would you fit it in?、Uh, yeah, okay. So I have a nine to、uh, well nine to five thirty. I would usually,、uh, especially during COVID, right? Like I live alone, so、uh, during COVID, I would come home,、uh, assuming I was not working from home that day, and just. Work on my game, yeah. Do whatever I felt like usually at that point. So whether that be sprite work or programming, I'll do that until dinner time. It's hard to say exactly what my. I didn't really have like a set schedule. I was just, I was just working a lot. I was spending a lot of hours after work, and as I said, like I was、uh, doing a lot of programming while I was at work as well. Which actually, personally, I found that to be some of the most productive hours of game development. Because if I try to do programming in Game Maker at home, I would have a habit of typing a little bit of code. Let's say, for example, like a movement,、uh, a code for like moving a character, and then I would spend like the next couple of hours tweaking little numbers here and there. Like, oh, you know, maybe it's moving a little bit too fast. Maybe the animation's a little, you know, whatever.、Uh, but yeah, I find that if I'm just working or programming on Notepad, I just I'm just focusing on getting all the You know, core programming done. I got sorry, I'm not a programmer, so I don't know how to really talk about programming. But yeah, just getting the whole system or all the systems done, and then I could go home, copy and paste it, and then tweak things here and there. Yeah. So、uh, basically, I was working on this game whenever I could, 
which is not super sustainable, I don't think, um, if you have a full-time job. But during that COVID period, um, again, I, I just I feel like I had a lot more free time. So you, you felt like you sustained it for that period? Um, yes, cool. 100%. Uh, for those three months, I feel like I was working. I, I don't think I had a day off, especially since, you know, our, our social lives were all suffering at that point, right? So uh, we, weren't, we weren't allowed to go out. So I would just, you know, spend time at home uh, working on my game. Yeah, I guess this is around the time of Hong Kong's fifth wave, which did a... Uh... Well, you know, the less about that, the better, but, you know. Yeah. And then, yeah, you met, you know, you said you're not a programmer, but, like, the programming for Neophyte must be pretty good for for all the systems to mesh and, and you know, have as much emergent behavior as, as they do have. So, and you also said you don't like doing the sound. So, like, you know, what, did you actually get any help or what force multipliers did you have for the sound you know the sound the music the coding yeah or did you just like watch a lot of tutorials or did you make the sound effects yourself you know mm. yeah I, I see what you're saying yeah i i made all the sound myself um except for there are like one or two sound effects off the top of my head the sound effect for Earthwall, i think was uh, which is a spell i think i got that from freesound.org you know i made sure that it was a I forgot the exact name of the license, but it was the one that was, yeah, completely free. Creative um, Commons Zero, probably. Uh, yeah. So other than that, I would just make everything in BFXR, which I'm sure most indie game devs, if not all indie game devs, will be, will be familiar with it, right? It's like, you know, generates, mm. I think, 8-bit um, sound effects, if I'm not mistaken. I, I did not realize you made it all in BFXR, because they sound good. <laughs> like, That's they sound huge... much better than my BFXR. <laughs> That's a huge compliment. Thank you. I honestly think as long as you avoid the coin sound effect in BFXR, <laughs> people will have a much harder time telling uh, if you made it in that in that program because it just sounds even if you like tweak it in that program, the coin sound effect always sounds like you know early what, what was it NES or SNES like uh, mm. Super Mario or whatever it was, and mm. that just I, I notice it every time like I'm watching like a new indie game on YouTube or something. It's like oh my god, that's such a BFXR coin sound effect. But yeah, I, I would tweak some of the sound effects in Audacity, but really not much. Most of it was just done in straight BFXR. Music was something that I sourced for free. Uh, this guy, I think he goes by Muzmuz or Muse Muse. He is a uh, composer and he, he releases a few, yeah, quite a few um, music tracks uh, for free. And I just took them from his website and put them in the game. He is credited in the game. And yeah, uh, music is just the one thing that I don't think I'll ever want to do myself. It's just so difficult, you know. It's obviously like a whole discipline into a, in, in and of itself. Yeah. And, and so is really audio hard. design. Um, but audio design, you can sort of fudge and, and you know, do it yourself uh, while still being listenable. Whereas I think music, is, it's a lot harder to do that. And then the, for the code, I did all the code myself. Uh, I did use a couple of extensions. Anybody in the game maker community will know uh, this guy Juju Adams. He's just a wizard, and he makes he releases all of these um, extensions for free, particularly Scribble, which is used for text handling and makes it so much easier to add effects to text, like uh, you know making the text like wiggle or shake and all that sort of stuff, adding adding color oh. and and text icons, and also input is another one of his extensions. Input just makes uh, input handling a lot easier. 
And you know, when, when, if and when I do decide to add controller support, it's going to make <laughs> that a lot about easier. That. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. no, all these extensions. Uh, I, I I think I only use those two. But yeah, Juju Adams actually works with. Um, he he's worked on some big games, um, and he's used these assets for those games, like uh, Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon, I believe. Mm. A few others as well that I I can't remember, but yeah, he's he's a big deal. I love that guy. So you did touch on this a little bit earlier, but how was the launch on itch.io, you know, initially the, the QMGHK version and how did that, you know, affect your plans? Mm. Uh, yeah. So the launch was, uh, on the original itch.io launch, um, I originally t- uh, said to myself, you know, if I want to be a full-time game dev, I have to get comfortable with the idea of selling a game. So I was just like, all right, you know what? I'll just sell this game for $1 just to sort of, you know, get that out of the way. So that mentally speaking, it, it mentally would be a lot easier next time I, I sell a game. I really wasn't expecting, like, it, it wasn't a huge success, but I was expecting, you know, a few people to get it. Uh, and I can't actually remember how many people ended up buying it at the end of the day. But I already talked about this earlier, but a couple of indie YouTubers made videos on it. One of them is Retromation, who I think, you know, a lot of people who play indie games uh, might might know him. He's one of the more prominent indie game YouTubers out there. Mm-hmm. Alexa. And, like, the sales of the game, like, you know, if I was selling one or two copies of the game per day, after those videos were released, I was suddenly getting, you know, hundreds of copies being sold a day. So without those YouTube videos, I don't know. I don't even know if there would be a Steam version of, of Neophyte. So I really have to give big thanks to those guys. Was Retromation following you on Twitter before Neophyte, or was Neophyte what what made it happen? Um, I think, I can't remember if it was just before release or just after release. Uh, I got followed by Retromation on Twitter. Um, and I know this about him. He does, uh, him and Alexa both, they, they're on. They're always on Twitter, you know, following indie game devs and, and seeing what would be cool to play. Uh, and so when he followed me, I had my fingers crossed and I was like, oh my God, is he going to buy it? Is he going to play it? And yeah, one day I woke up, checked YouTube, and uh, yeah, li- literally jumped out of bed. Uh, I don't think I've ever done that before, but I literally jumped out of bed <laughs> and shouted yes after seeing that he made a, a YouTube video on my game. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, oh, it, I will say it almost sounded like I had paid for it. I think he says it two separate, on, uh, on two separate occasions in the video, I'm pretty sure he said something to the effect of, if you, what did he say? It's like, if you like me or something like that, it's like, please just buy this game. Like, if you love, if you like, uh, I, I forgot exactly what he said, but he gave, basically gave a call to action twice in the video to, for his, um, watchers to, to buy the game. Yeah. I, I feel like this was like this. It, I mean, you could say it was luck, but also you make your own luck. Like, I think your Twitter presence obviously is, you know, you have, you post your artwork, your pixel art, your like, you know, gifts of your progress, like, both before and after Neophyte on Twitter. And you have got quite a following from that, I think. And, you know, that paid off with Neophyte for sure. And Retromation's video, I did I did watch it because uh, I, you know, I do watch Indie Games YouTube and I, and I follow Retromation. And yeah, it was quite a strong endorsement of the game, you know, which was fair because it's a very good game. Yeah, thank you. And then... I remember you were originally starting work on a new, you know, quarterly made games kind of prototype. You were actually going to make something new for the next quarter. And then 
then you decided to to pivot back to doing a Steam version of Neophyte. Yeah, uh, so because of the attention that it was getting, uh, which again wasn't mind-blowing, but as as somebody who had never released a game before, I was like, oh my god, um, this is actually pretty cool. I I felt like, you know what, I, I can hold off on this new prototype and I can, you know, give a little love to this game and try to release something on Steam, which is another major hurdle. And by the way, I'm, I'm so glad that I've released something on Steam. I feel like there's so many, you can watch all the videos in the world. It is so, there are so many little things about releasing a game on Steam that are pretty tricky and difficult. I think you just have to do it. And now the, the process is a lot less intimidating than it used to be. But yeah, no, actually, so what you're talking about with the Twitter presence, um, it does really help, uh, unfortunately. Like, there are a lot of great games out there that don't get attention purely because the art isn't that good. You know, it's like very programmery art. On Twitter, like, it, unfortunately, it, it is mostly about visuals. So, like, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not the greatest artist in the world, but I, I think people do like a certain, that kind of pixel art style, you know, sort of clean with chunky outlines. I've noticed that actually becoming kind of uh, a bit of a trend, uh, the chunky outline pixel art, which I'm a big fan of personally. So, yeah, that having that Twitter presence really did uh, help me out a lot. Um, I think you're right. And actually, that, that prototype that you're talking about, that got some of the most likes I've ever gotten on a, on a post. It was like a Mega Man Battle Network style tile matching game. Because, you know, on Metal Man Battle Network and like, uh, what's that other game? The, the indie game? Like Eden? Oh, one, one step yeah, from yeah, Eden. One Step from Eden. Yeah. Since, since you're already on a grid, I was like, well, it'd be really cool if you could somehow like merge sort of tile matching mechanics on top of that. And people seem to resonate with that. So I, I'm definitely going to return to that idea at some point. But yeah, I, I just felt like with the amount of positive attention the is getting, like I, I have to try and make this a full game. And And the Steam launch has been as good as you were hoping or uh yeah you're <laughs> the way you asked that question is is very really resonates with how i feel about it um it's not like you know i'm not gonna quit my job uh, my day job and go full time anytime soon i think I'm, I'm still gonna have to save but I really have no frame of reference for how good uh, how good a good Steam launch is. I think there's like a like we won't go too deep into like financials, but I think there was a, a statistic somebody told me where it's like if you make more than like ten thousand US dollars, then you're in like the top ten percent of Steam releases. Wow. So all, all I will say is like I I am I am fairly comfortably above that. And, you know, I guess that's, that's all we'll say on that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have a frame of reference other than some of these games like Snake RX and Vampire Survivors, which are obviously huge outliers. I don't think anybody expects them to do as well as they, as they've done. And I think like their developers could probably, you know, probably never work again if they wanted to, right? They could probably survive off of those games. But yeah, I, I am very happy with how, um, how it's done, uh, on Steam. And yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited uh, about the idea of potentially going, full-time in the near future yeah we, we just need northern line to play it right oh <laughs> god what... i don't know i'm in so <laughs> we've joked about this a lot me and me and uh mike are big fans of northern lion and the amount of games i've bought from that man because i just feel like he's playing it wrong he, he's gonna get me again with dome keeper by the way his uh, i don't know if you I follow know, that right? his, quote unquote Why would psycho you mining like that? yeah, yeah <laughs> for such a logical man i don't know what he's thinking when he mines those tunnels um yeah. but yeah i i want him to play it i think when it's out of early access i i don't know if i could handle northern lions like uh like any sort of sarcastic quips about my game like i love that man too much i i don't know 
if that would like cause me to quit game dev or anything like that. But um, yeah, I, I think the game is not quite ready. And I think, honestly, he probably does need a bit of a break from those sort of uh, hmm. action roguelike sort of games, which which he's been doing, right? He's not been playing many of those sorts of games recently. So yeah, maybe yeah. when he's ready and when Neophyte's ready, the stars will align and he'll finally play the game. Yeah, let's hope. Fingers crossed. So let's talk a little bit about what it's been like to play Neophyte. And I, I'm I'm particularly curious about Ting, because he's never played this kind of game before. And also, Max, your judgment of how we've been playing it, because I don't know whether we're playing it like the intended way or whether we're just subverting it or whether that's what you expected in the first place. So, yeah, I, th- I think we should chat a little bit about that. I mean, the you know, the the actual game playing it you know it feels very good there's I mean, you know it feels a difficult thing to capture and i i think it you, know, you you talked about how there's no walk cycles and you know everything just bounces around but you know it because i think because it's just so consistent it it really feels right and yeah the the spells are kind of like chunky and the ui you know shake and feedback and and everything it all comes together in a, in a really good way I, I, you know, I've written down here that like it kind of makes me feel like the Binding of Isaac, but it, it's actually very different in in a lot of ways. Like the Binding of Isaac's kind of floaty, but and this isn't. But there is that consistency there, and I think maybe that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think when it comes to making art for a game, I think the the most the two most important things are consistency, like just having like a key, uh, you know, consistent visual style and color palette across the th- across the whole game. And if you're making a pixel art game, yeah, the second the second thing is just making sure or doing doing the best you can to make sure all the pixels are the same size. I don't know if you've played uh, any indie games mm-hmm. where I mean this happens in the Binding of Isaacs uh, as well, which it, and it's something that's unavoidable in certain circumstances. But like having like bullets, for example, scale up. I've tried my best to keep everything a similar pixel size, which is something that I, I think a lot of people realize uh, when they look at a game. Like it just looks off. If you know one pixel is like ten times bigger than the others, or something like that, so that's a really yeah. important thing that I try to keep to, which I think you know adds to the visual cohesiveness on it uh, of it. Uh, like I could have made the sprites a lot more detailed, I guess, but then that would just make the game take so much longer to develop because it's not just that one sprite, right? Then you have to make everything match that level of detail, and more than that, you'd have to animate on that level of detail, which is incredibly difficult. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on vibrant colors just making it kind of neat keeping the motions uh, of the animation like very fluid but also very simple right so like yeah just a lot of simple movements with like good 
timing. Yeah, and and I I, I personally think I, I'm very happy with how it looks personally, and I think it's something that's it's something that's achievable for a solo dev in a relatively short amount of time. Oh, oh, the one thing I will say is that I think until I saw like the cover art of Neophyte, I didn't realize it was a crystal in the guy's head. I thought it was like <laughs> a one-eyed like golem or something with like nostrils or something. I didn't realize like oh, it's a crystal in his head and those oh, are his I eyes. Oh, I love that. I love that. I I've never seen it that way, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have a hard look at the character because like I can I can imagine how goofy that looks. Um, Maybe I'll make that like a, a, a an additional playable character or something. Yeah, in my head, that's amazing. Yeah. After I saw the actual like you know your artistic cover art, not the pixel art, I was just like, oh. And then I, then you know it's like the rabbit and the duck thing, right? After that, I was like, <laughs> it flipped in my head. I was like, oh right, I see it now. Yeah, I see. I, it must have been funny though, like because some of the animations have the character really like his eyes sort of stretch and go big and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm just imagining in your mind his yeah, nostrils, like nostrils crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then yeah, so I have played nine hours of the game, but I have got all, I mean, I've got all the achievements, so I've 100 percented it in that sense. I've I've finished at least one run on every challenge level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, co- content is uh, lacking, which is definitely like the main focus of this early access period, which is just you know getting more content and making the game more replayable. And then Ting, I've only managed. What, what have you managed? I've only managed to complete one run. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> your your playtime is much longer as well, isn't okay, it? You, it's it like on. twenty something hours. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think it is. Especially if it's the first game of this type that you've played, I think you know you, you get used to like the conventions and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's a lot easier to to play those games after after you've had some experience. Like me and Mike, we've played a lot of Binding of Isaac and that and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. I wanted to ask: Is Mike? After after each, completing each challenge tier, are you able to just, just go straight through at the next tier? Do you know what I mean? With one run? No. <laughs> okay. Short answer. I mean, I think so. some of them were harder than others. Some of them were unexpectedly harder than others. Challenge six was unexpectedly much harder than I thought it would be. But then again, maybe it's because I was just trying to make stupid builds at that point. Like challenge six, I was really determined to win with a melee build. So that probably was a big contributor to it taking so long. But yeah, you know, like reading the description of challenge six, uh, challenge six is where there there are invasions. So like a portal will open and enemies from another one of the arenas will will come in. And I was thinking like, oh, this is going to make the early game harder, but the late game easier. Because, you know, like you'll be on the clock tower and suddenly a bunch of enemies from like the first arena will come in. It's like, oh, these are easy, you know, compared to the compared to the later enemies. But actually what happens is it just means that every arena has poison now because poison enemies <laughs> come through and just spitting poison everywhere. And like I died so many times to poison just because I would just like I would just be like standing on it and not notice. And it would just like build up and up and up and I would just die. So, yeah, challenge six took me a long time. I saw that you were starting getting the the achievements for other builds so that's why i started immediately i started trying other builds but then i just have no ability to build other respectable builds it seems and i was yeah, too so stubborn you got one win yeah and i was too stubborn to go back to my chain lightning <laughs> so so what was your one your, your one was the chain lightning build. it's so good it's i feel it's op i mean it is so good yeah i actually love chain lightning <laughs> oh, that, that is uh yeah in, in my own 
uh, community discord. Yeah, chain lightning. It's been such a difficult one to balance. I don't even, I can't even really uh, figure out exactly why it's OP. Um, and we, you know, which sounds kind of bad because I'm, you know, the game designer. But like, yeah, there's there's just something about it that people say. Like, um, some people say it's not good, but most people say it's OP. It is funny because if you shoot at an enemy, it will chain really far. But if you click and it doesn't actually hit anything, it just stops dead. So I can imagine that if your aim is not good, it will be kind of rubbish because you'll just burn through a load of mana and it's not hit. Because you think like if you shoot at a spot and it doesn't hit something, it will still try and chain because you're within the chaining range. But I think if you hit the ground, it just literally doesn't chain. And so the difference between like clicking on one enemy and clicking on the ground is like huge Uh, at least that was you know the times when it's not worked out for me it's because i was just being inaccurate with my clicking i was just spamming and it was just like not Uh, landing that's interesting that you say that you know it's so interesting you say that because the way i i spent uh, quite a lot of time on this particular spell so what happens is if you click an enemy yeah it will it will choose that as your initial target even if there are other enemies in the way if you click a spot on the ground and there's nobody there's like it shoots out a little radius around that spot. And if there are enemy, it chooses like the closest enemy to that as the initial target. If there's no one in that radius, then it will shoot a ray cast, like a line to its maximum range and then choose the nearest enemy, the first enemy that that line collides with as the initial target. But then if no initial target is found, then it will play the effect where it just stops dead on the ground. Okay, so it does change. Yeah. Okay, so, so it does chain off the ground. I'm just clearly clicking too far from anything. Well, it doesn't really uh, chain off the ground. It, it, it It's more just like there's like a fail-safe for if there's no viable target in the area that you click on. Like, it will try to extend its maximum range and then hit an enemy. But as I'm explaining that, I realize that, that that's just like a, a little line, a raycast, which is much more, you know, you're not going to... Uh, collisions are going to be a little bit more um, precise with that. So maybe I should change it to be like a a, a radius that like, uh, use the same radius, but like step it forward until it finds a... I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll we'll just make it even more OP, maybe. maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think I should be making the targeting worse. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I'll I'll have a think about that. Interesting. Well, okay, okay. why don't we talk a little bit then about what we think is good or bad or, you know, what spells we thought were overpowered or or rubbish, or favorite synergies, or whatever. I mean, like, Ting, is, other than Chain Lightning, what did you like? I really wanted to like the idea of, I don't know the name of the spells, the spinning ones, if you will. The, the lava, Whirling lava, Blades? No, oh, well, Lava yeah. Track Room. Yeah. I've heard it's good. I can't get it to be good. Interesting. Yeah, Lava Track Room, I thought was pretty rubbish <laughs> until I learned that you can just hold down the cast button on any spell, not just basic spells and channeled spells. And then I was like, oh, wait, this is way easier to use now. Because if you, if you have the mana regen to sustain it, you can just have so many chakrams going around yeah. you that you know, your damage just goes through the roof. Yeah, so with that, I, I think it's personally really good if you if you have like a fairly large mana pool and then you, you kind of run out to a little bit of a safe spot, you spam it, until you, you've maxed out and you can't cast anymore because of your mana, and then you run through enemies. Then <laughs> that, it's actually, it was actually quite hard to balance because of that. Like, you know, if you were using it in that way, you could just melt through enemies. But if you're using it like a traditional spell, you know, like casting it once and then casting it again, walking through enemies, it, it is very bad <laughs> if you use it in that way. Yeah, I, I did not think it was very good until I figured out how to use it. And after that, I think it's my fastest 
you know, boss kill on the conservator, like the last boss. Mm. I think it, it literally went through its, you know, the entire health pool in like five seconds. It was <laughs> it was ridiculous. So yeah, I can definitely see it can be very good. I mean the the melee build I was trying to do was whirling blades and you know, originally I thought Apparition was the worst spell, but now I think Whirling Blades is the worst spell. <laughs> like, like <laughs> Whirling Blades is awful. I'm just sorry. No, Because it, it costs a lot. It's like 25 mana. And unlike Lava Trackroom, you can't stack it. So... Yeah. I, again, like, balance has been a really difficult uh, part of the game because, you know, there there are a lot of different avenues on, on uh, a lot of different aspects of the game to balance. Like, not just enemies and um, spells, but also, like, emblems, like, how much how much uh, stats we're getting, um, like, how, how much the enemies scale. Because if you didn't notice, like, mm. enemies do have a slight health and power scaling as the game yeah. goes on, which is why, like, in the invasion portals you're talking about, enemies from the first room that come in are not going to be as weak as they were. When you yeah, first yeah. they'll them. still be dangerous. Yeah. It's more the mechanics. Like mechanically, are they less dangerous than the later enemies? But mm. yeah, I, I still think the poison is the most dangerous mechanic. <laughs> so. uh, the poison is actually something that I'm I'm going to look into again. Balancing, yeah, it's it's really tricky, especially because you're getting conflicting information from different people. So I, I'm really mm, interested sure. to hear your perspective on what spells are the best and the worst. Because when I look at my own community, somebody made like a tier list maker thing yeah and it's really interesting there's a lot of contention but there are like one or two spells that are consistently in the d tier which i think is the last tier mm. and it wasn't whirling blade uh whirling death uh god i, I even i'm losing track of uh, the names of these spells but it was it was ghost form and um earth wall were two of the two of the spells that were always yeah, i, in I the never use either of those yeah fair <laughs> I never... that's fair i i actually did fill in the tier list maker but i i i didn't finish it because there were a few sp- emblems where i was like wait what is the you know i can't remember exactly what this one does but like i want something i noticed that was interesting is that i put cursed touch in s tier and a lot of the ones on on the tier maker list in your discord have it in d tier and i was like what i love this i think yeah. cursed touch is so good but it's probably just because i have a lot of trouble with the like the laser beam enemies in the clock tower and cursed touch just like hard counters them yeah. Whereas if you're maybe if you're better at dodging, then curse touch is pointless. Yeah, exactly. You you hit it spot on. Actually, that's one of the emblems I'm looking on uh, as a for a rework because you're exactly right. Like it is such a hard counter to those um, to like the the laser enemy and also uh, spinner the the spinner enemies as well. Yeah. Because yeah, any, they anything, just touch you and they instantly bounce off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anything that deals like lots of little instances of damage, they're gonna be you know hard countered by curse touch, and every other enemy is like you know it, it, you don't really feel the effect as largely well. so, unaffected. Yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely gonna be looking at a rework for for that yeah it's pretty interesting uh, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think what's you know what the other other one it, it's something ting said to me when we were looking at what we wanted to ask you because he was asking about channeled spells okay mm. i can't even what was the question ting do you ever channel bother with channeling with channel spells yeah, what are the channeled yeah. spells in the game there's there's solar beam and then what what else is there other than solar beam? There's solar beam, um, static discharge, which is the one that creates right. like a, a yes. lightning field around you. I feel mm. like oh my god, how, I'm so unprepared for my own game. There's another spell. <laughs> I feel like there's one more spell uh, that is channeled. I just can't for the life of me remember what it is. Yeah, because okay, the 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 actual 
specifics are less important in a way than the design around channeling. Because mm-hmm. I remember in the itch.io version of Neophyte, well, at least on the very first version, so this is like point one or something, you couldn't move when you were casting spells, mm. is my recollection. And at the moment, you move slowly when you're casting spells, whether it's a channeled spell or not. And then there was, or there still is, this emblem levitation that lets you move at 80% of your speed while channeling. But that only affects, I guess, solar beam and static discharge. It doesn't affect you when you're like chain casting a non, you know, inverted commas, channeled spell. Mm. So I, I, I just kind of wanted to hear what you, you know, design thinking wise why the distinction i i feel like there's less of a distinction between a channeled spell and just chain casting a spell now and that obviously impacts levitation as well because levitation specifically is only for channeled spells yeah so uh, with um solar beam was recently reworked such that uh the damage increases the longer you channel and um with static discharge it's more of like a sort of risk reward thing right where you can channel for longer and you need to be close to enemies when it when it triggers in order to deal the most damage uh, to the most amount of enemies. But the closer you are to enemies, the uh, you know the more likely you're going to take a lot more damage. So yeah, with, with channeling spells, there are only a couple of them. If I'm honest, I, I mainly put them in because uh, I like... It, it, Solar Beam was the first channeled spell I, I put in, right? And like that was clearly inspired by Disintegrate in Diablo 3, and I just think it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, so... For channeled spells, I don't know, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I just like the design philosophy around, I think you did actually answer it, or at least mm. maybe maybe the real answer is that there is no dissonance there at all. And it's just my perception of the purpose of a channeled spell versus yours. And yours mm. is obviously correct because you, you made the game. Because <laughs> oh, like, in my mind, channeling, you know, in, in the early versions of the game, you couldn't move while you were casting, and Levitate allowed you to move when you were channeling. Yeah. So channeling was kind of like a thing that allowed you to move when you had Levitate. But I bet that line's blurred now because you can move a little bit in between, well, a little bit while you're casting any spell. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the distinction really is that actually channeling is really meant to represent spells that, like, increase in power over time, be it, like holding down solar beam for it to get to its max power or the static discharge building up the power of the field for when you release it so it's not really about the movement at all it's just that levitate buffs the movement but really everything you can move in channeling is more about increasing the power you know risk reward in that sense instead yeah it, yeah that's exactly right so it, uh, channeling spells are more like emphasize risk reward and i will say the uh the moving while casting feature or whatever you want to call it that design decision was made fairly late into development and this is something that people that people kept on saying, and I was really against it for a while. But then I implemented it. I just thought it felt a lot better, even if you're not actually like you move it. I want to say it's like twenty five to thirty percent of your speed, and you mm. move really, really slowly. But I, I think just having some level of control, especially when you're, um, I noticed it a lot when you're in the second arena, the sewers arena, and you're fighting a lot of flies that fire a barrage of missiles. Being able to mm. move just a little bit. You know, you you would still get hit while casting by one or two projectiles, but before when you couldn't move at all, it just felt really bad just standing still and just getting pelted by every single bullet. So yeah, just I wanted to give a little bit more control. 
And then obviously that affected things like, yeah, you, you brought up levitation. That used to make you be able to move for, I think, 50 or 60% of your movement speed. After I made that change, I, I bumped it up to 80. So it felt like it still had like a relatively big impact. And so now I guess like, you know, there will be more channeling spells in the future. And with levitation, channeling becomes like the go-to, like, you know, uh, mobile while dealing damage sort of mechanic. Yeah, levitation plus solar beam, I think, is like a game-winning combination. I I think there are certain combinations that are basically good enough to carry Mm. or or, or at least are worth focusing the entire build around. And the levitation in particular, because it just means you can ignore poison, which is obviously the bane of my existence. Oh, that was a very recent decision. I think that was only implemented in the last patch. Uh, That was a suggestion. Yeah, I noticed that and I was just like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those things where it is very powerful. It also is something that you would kind of expect. Like somebody in my Discord was like, you know, I I was kind of thinking that levitation would make me uh, ignore poison on the floor. I was like, oh, even though that might be a little overpowered, I, I think that feels right. So yeah, I mean, again, balance is something that is like, I would say that's actually the trickiest part of being a solo dev, if we can go back to the previous, uh, to a previous question. Yeah. Balance yeah. is so difficult, especially when you have all uh, people in your Discord pulling you in different directions, and yeah, it, it, it's tricky. But, you know, over time, I, I, I'm confident that I'll get it into a spot where I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I want there to be some things that are broken. I think that's a really important part of roguelikes, is being able to achieve, like, a build where mm. you just feel like a god and you're mowing yeah. down enemies and all that sort of stuff the the question is how difficult should it be to get to that point i think if it's only two components uh, like you're saying if solar beam and levitation is something that can sort of carry you through the game again i i, I can't really say if i agree or disagree with that statement yet uh, i'd have to look into it more but yeah i would definitely want there to be a certain threshold of like say three or four or maybe even more specific emblems and combinations of things to be broken and those are also things that will naturally solve themselves to some extent with more content. If there are more things in the pool, then it'll be less likely to encounter these broken combinations, right? So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in the future of the game, but right now, yeah, there are definitely some balance issues that need to be ironed out. I, I did think it was interesting when I was looking at your Discord and there are people talking about re-rolls or wanting more re-rolls, and, and you made the comment that, yeah, you're concerned that if you give people too many re-rolls, people will always just make the same build. And yeah, I think that's part of the fun. Like you always, you know, you want to know these overpowered builds exist and you want to, you know, you want to try and make them again because you know they're really good. But at the same time, you don't want to make it so that people only just do the same thing every time. Like having that build variety is also really important. Like because the discovery of a new overpowered build is actually, that's I think what brings people back. That's what makes it really fun. And, and also make what, uh, it's also what makes people watch it on YouTube or Twitch, I think too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think it's at that stage yet. I, I have a, I have a, I don't even know if I call it a theory, but I think that like, uh, roguelites have a certain content. If the, if the base game is good, I think there's a certain content threshold that they reach where the game becomes like truly infinitely replayable for some people, right? Binding of Isaac has clearly surpassed that with yeah. the amount of people who are just doing hundreds of videos on YouTube on it. I would love to reach that one day. Um, that is, you know, it, it probably won't happen. That game is just so huge, but yeah, I, I think I can probably get the game eventually to a state where it will be like not as not as replayable as binding of isaac but something that you can continue to come back to every once in a while which is something that i'd be very happy for the the game to be you know just a little game that you play every now and then maybe in between longer sessions of like league of legends or other big games and you can just come back to it every once in a while to check it out 
Yeah, I, I think there's just there is some math to it. It's like a combinatorial explosion or something. Like, you know, even just adding one more spell, you know, you you get to multiply through again by by an extra number, you know, and then at some point the total number of combinations just becomes so huge that it's effectively infinite. Yeah, and this is something we'll probably talk about later um, if we talk about the future of the game. But there's a new system that I'm currently working on called Spell Runes, where it's a new type of thing to draft a new collectible to draft, which will alter one of your existing spells in some way. And I think that will just open up, you know, a ton of different builds. Yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see. And then, and you also mentioned like doing a rebalance or a, re- a reworking. And I, I know you're doing it all the time. Like I, I remember seeing, you know, there was at one point, there was like a one emblem break, basically. Like I think it was Mana Hungry. And oh, yeah. y- you could just continually increase your damage if you had that emblem and, and i think you I, i'm not sure you even made it to the main branch I'm, i don't know if that was found on the beta branch and then you you changed it before it hit the mainstream it did make it to the main branch actually oh, okay. um, thankfully not too many people discovered it before i patched it out but yeah there, there was like one or two people in discord that were posting like you know they would have like two thousand power yeah. or something <laughs> where like the highest that was like naturally achievable was like 150 maybe 200 or something like that i was just like oh my god what the hell <laughs> yeah. is happening and then i don't know i i think there are still a few that are really really good like they're definitely if i see them i i will always take them i guess it's like the s tier like blood pact plus essence shift just seems incredibly good but well you know i i think these things should exist as well at least it at least it's at least two items right to uh to make your build exactly yeah exactly and like like we said, right? Like it's about sort of hitting that sweet spot of like you want to be able to get broken, but you know you don't want to, you don't want every run to be breakable. Uh, and then just a little a little bit more on build variety because I'm just curious. I really want to know. Like, how do you intend the game to be played? Because Ting mentioned that his only win ha- has come from a chain lightning build, and then like you know I was trying to make melee builds work, uh, and and they do work, but you know it, things like that. I was like I was forcing myself to do it, or I I find that I tend to mostly have single spell builds or at least single element builds i'm very rarely using th- you know, things like earth wall i don't necessarily not use them because they're bad i just don't use them because there's no no need to use it in that sense i i don't know how to explain mm. it other than that like maybe this is like diablo though because like people don't always use the utility spells uh but is that kind of what you expected that people would just really focus on just one spell and like build their entire build around it? Or were you hoping that people would have like, you know, uh, an ice spell and a fire spell and we actually don't have ice, but you know, a lightning spell and a fire spell and an arcane spell, (laughs) you you know what I mean? Just like elementally Um, more diversity. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was, I was hoping for, um, you know, I, I think there's sort of like a core way to play, which the game very kind of clearly uh, funnels you into. Um, so right, like at the beginning, you're given a basic spell, a primary spell at uh, level three, I think it is. The next spell you get will be a defensive mm-hmm. spell, a random defensive spell, but it'll always be a defensive mm-hmm. spell. And the next spell you get after that is an expert spell, which is like a you typically it's like a, a very impactful spell that you use when you're in when you're facing like a big group or like a particularly dangerous enemy or something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, so the core build is like a basic, a primary a defensive and an expert. And the way you play, generally speaking, is like you, you use your primary spell, which costs mana as often as you can. When you when it's not available and you still need to do some damage, you do a basic spell, which is free. 
and then you use your defensive spell whenever you're like in trouble and your expert spell whenever you feel like you can you know the enemies are like in a in a position where you can really use it to its full effect because they typically have fairly long cooldowns that's the intended way to play but uh obviously i would like there to be i've tried to encourage multiple ways of playing so um there are, for example, like uh, elemental, um, a variety of, I, I would like, uh, to encourage, like, there to be, like, different combinations of elements, right? Rather than players using just one element. One of them, uh, one of the things I implemented to try to encourage that was making these, uh, implementing these, like, affinity, uh, no, not affinity. There are affinity emblems which, like, buff the damage of certain elements, which, you know, clearly funnels people into single element builds, which I think is fine. But there are also uh, elemental emblems. So, like, there's a fire elemental emblem, an arcane elemental emblem, and those are, like, stacking. They, they apply, like, a stack whenever you cast a certain elemental uh, spell, and those grant you cer- certain bonuses, right? So if you yeah, have, I, I remember Avatar or something. Is is that one of the ones you're talking oh, about? That's also one of them. Yeah, that just basically cycles through the different elements and whatever cycle you're, whatever element is currently being cycled, that deals more damage. That one I'm currently looking into more having a, more of a rework around to make it more. I want the player to have more control over what element is currently being cycled rather than just having it be on a timer. But yeah, that, I I have like a few plans for how to encourage builds using multiple different uh, elements it, right now i do think the game sort of funnels you into a single element maybe a little too strong a little too strongly yeah there are some things in the game currently to uh, to you know try to encourage multiple element builds but there are definitely going to be more in the future yeah it's interesting i it's, it's, i just because i've seen the ones that buff multi-elements like avatars one there's the other one that i can remember the what the emblem looks like but i can't remember the name of it but it's the one where basically they get three chevrons above their heads and it lights up as you hit them with each element yeah elemental assault that one yeah and and Uh, each uh chevron uh confers like a five percent i think damage increase uh stacking so like if you have all three elements on them actually might even be eight percent but yeah if you have multiple sources of elemental damage then it will increase the damage that they take from all sources yeah yeah, so I can see, like, if you get one of those, sometimes it makes you feel like, oh, I should try and go multi-element. But it's still a buff, even if you use only one element. So that's why it's like, oh, I, I don't f- have to feel bad about, mm. you know, <laughs> I don't know. It makes me realize that, like, most maybe most of my victories are actually, like, breaking builds. Like, I don't think there are very many where I, I used a widespread of abilities and just, like, just about squeaked through. All of them, I either died or I just snowballed to, like, absolute crushing victory. You know, either because of just focusing on a basic spell and ignoring mana, but it was just so fast and so powerful that that was all I needed. Or, yeah, I just had infinite mana and I could just chain cast chain lightning. I don't know. But, you know, for me, this is what made it fun. Yeah. So, uh, so actually, that's a, this is one thing I wanted to bring up, which is it, it's a lot more... I think the way that life uh, or health works in this game makes it a lot more difficult to balance. Because a lot of roguelikes, you don't have regenerating health you maybe get a potion every now and then that ups your health. And that I think that makes it a lot easier to balance. I'm not saying this is a... I, I think that's a really good design decision. Um, it's just not one that's in my game. But yeah, what that allows you to do is like, you know, you'll have runs where you're sort of... It's like a, a war of attrition almost, right? You're taking little bits of damage here and there. And eventually, like, you'll die because you've just taken so much damage previously. And then as you get better at the game, those little instances where you take, you know, a little bit of damage here, a little bit of damage there are lessened and then you can get further and further into a run with my game you fully heal at the end of the at the end of each level 
and there's regenerating uh, health, and enemies frequently drop uh, life potions. And again, that's because I did want to emulate that feeling of Diablo 3, where you're not super worried about taking... Like, you should be taking damage from enemies. Like, that's basically unavoidable in the game. Mm. But that just makes it so much harder to balance, because it's going to lead to situations like you're explaining, where you either, you know, you, you just die, or you just snowball through the rest of the game when you hit a certain threshold. So that's something I'm... You know, I'm trying to address. It's just very difficult. I think it's just going to take a lot of time. I don't know. I I think it's fun though. I I obviously like the way it feels. So I don't think it's I don't think it's a huge problem. But well, actually, you know what? Why don't we move on and then to the to the future then and talk about where the mm. game's going to go? Sounds good. So you mentioned already you're going to add this rune system. Mm, yeah, I am really, really excited about it. And, you know, anybody who's played Diablo 3, shocker, this is inspired by Diablo 3, um, where you can, like, equip runes to a spell which changes how it works. The difference in, in my game is that you can equip two runes at any given time, which is actually a fair bit more difficult to do pro uh, programmatically. I'm impressed by your coding, honestly. <laughs> I feel like your coding must be very competent by now if you can uh, write this. Oh, seriously. thank you. I mean, the oh God, like, so obviously, like, this system, basically, you can equip runes where that will change exactly, like, how a spell works every time you cast it. And, uh, yeah, so obviously that means you have to sort of program, like, you know, when you cast a spell, you do that, you do X or Y. And so if, if you could only, if you're limited to only one rune, that could be fairly simple because you could just say like, okay, whenever you cast a spell, just chuck out the original cast function or whatever and replace it with this, this new cast function. But then if you want to equip multiple different runes, you can't do that. You can't just have like, you know, just one. It has to be multiple things interacting at once. So that was quite tricky. I've had to revamp the spell casting system quite a few times before it was fairly straightforward, you know, press this button to do this. Now it's like, press this button, and it creates like a, a, a struct of information about like the casting parameters, like, you know, what animation uh, needs to be played, on what frame of the animation does the effect happen, should anything happen before the effect of the spell happens, should anything happen after the spell is cast. It, it's actually gotten fairly complicated, uh, especially with channeling spells, which is annoying, because as you said, there are only currently two channeling spells, so having to like keep that in mind whenever I'm doing these huge reworks is uh is a bit is a bit annoying but there will be more channeling spells um so yeah so for some examples like like I really want the runes to like be pretty uh substantial and sort of change the way you play so some of them will like turn some spells into channeling spells for example like maybe you can hold down fireball to like charge it up and make the explosion bigger and make it deal more damage that sort of thing 
some runes. For example, I've I've one for uh, meteor form, which is where you like jump in the air and crash down. I have one that will grant that spell like a lot of bonus damage based on your um, any bonus health and resistances that you have. So that'll be something that'll be very useful for tanks. I have one for like power fist, the melee basic spell, where on your third hit, which is like a, a more powerful punch, it will like teleport you to a target position and then deal damage around you. So it'll make you very, very mobile. Things like that. Um, and I also have plans uh, to make some runes that will change the uh, the type of elemental damage that um, mm. that the spell will deal, uh, in addition to other novel effects, which will encourage you know having multiple elements and maybe even changing the focus, like your focal element for the build, that sort of thing. I really want runes to be something that uh, are are able to better uh, encourage you to switch up your build your, uh, midway through a run. That's my hope for this system. When I mean, maybe. You- I understand that you might change your mind on how these things work as as development progresses, but is the rune going to be spell specific? Is it going to be like there's fireball and there's two fireball runes, or is it just there's going to be like modifier one rune, modifier two rune, and you can put it on fireball or you could put it on stormbow? You know, is is the rune going to be locked to a specific spell, or is it going to just be here's the here's like the type one modifier rune, and you can put it on mm. any of the spells in your inventory? Yeah. So right now, uh, I think this is how it's always going to be. Uh, I I want the runes to be completely unique to each spell Mm. right so for example with black hole there's one i have where it lasts a lot shorter but at the end when it expires it creates an explosion Mm. and then there's one for stormbow the uh where you charge up and that's the other channeling spell stormbow oh Um, (laughs) (laughs) where you charge up and uh, charge up a bow and then shoot an arrow i have one rune that makes the arrow ricochet off of walls and deal additional damage based on um how many uh, how many times it bounces off the walls? So yeah, all things are very specific to cool. uh, each individual spell. I think that's just way more interesting. I I can see it working both ways, but I think the way you're you know having it be specific mm. in many ways makes more sense. Uh, I, I guess the only downside I was thinking is like you might get a black hole rune and then be like, oh, I don't really like black hole, so the rune's pointless too. But you know, I, I guess they just wouldn't pick that rune, right? If they if they're going to get the choice, so. It, yeah, it probably yeah. works better that way. Yeah, and you can re-roll runes and stuff like that, and um, like like any other reward in the game, you'll be able to re-roll them. And also, I'm I'm hoping that you know if you pick up a spell, because this frequently happens, right? You pick up a spell, you already have a build. Like I'm not going to use the spell. I'm hoping that you'll get give you'll get shown a rune that will make you be like, oh, maybe I should equip that. So you know, there will also be runes rather than focusing on damage. There are runes that will be f- uh, focused on like changing up the utility of a spell. Mm. So yeah, like one one uh, there's one for grasping vines, which makes you take way less damage if you're standing within the vines, right? So oh, suddenly okay. that becomes a very good uh, defensive tool. Oh, interesting. I guess you've not thought about coming out of early access yet. <laughs> it's, it's still very early in early access right now. Fine. So yeah. And so, are you able to comment on what you you want to put in? beyond the rune system or you're just not gonna you want to leave it open give yourself some space uh no i mean there are there are a couple of things hold on i have a i have a big um trello board of of stuff oh, okay. that i'm like trying to put in you know uh, apart from say more challenge levels that will like the main goal is again to just add variety to the run right not just on the player side but on the enemy and arena side as well i'm still as a solo dev, you do have to think very carefully about how you can add variety in an, in as economical of a way as you possibly can, which is why I, I really liked Invasions, because 
I didn't really have to add any new enemies or anything like that. I just had to take enemies, uh, things already in the game, and just put them in a different environment. And I found that that, uh, I, I think, in general, that was um, that resonated quite well with the community. So yeah, if I can continue to do more stuff like that, have very like economical things that uh, really increase the variety of the game. So uh, one example actually is, um, and and this is, I don't know if this is too ambitious. I, I think it's I think it's the right sort of scope. But like, in addition to drafting like runes and benefits, you'll also be able to draft um, like negative effects. So for example, you'll be forced to draft like what I'm calling enemy evolutions, which will add different effects onto enemies, like. For example, there are like mine enemies in the first level. You have a spiky balls, which actually are going to be mm-hmm. reworked visually soon, but they're currently spiky balls that will make them fire projectiles in all directions when they explode. Stuff like that, right? Or maybe even make them continue to move towards the player while they're self-destructing. Things like that, right? Which will make the game more difficult, will add more variety to the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very keen to have like those sorts of features in the game. Other than that, I want to try and look at unlockable characters. Mm. I'm still figuring out the best way to do that. Like exactly how novel should they be? Cosmetically or? No, no, no. Um, well, they'll, they'll be different cosmetically as well. But, but they'll, they'll play differently. They'll play differently. Maybe they wow. start with certain spells. Like, for example, maybe they start with a certain basic spell and then you draft a primary spell after that. Oh. Or, or, or they start with the, the same basic and primary spells as well. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a character where like their spells change. I don't know. Uh, again, this is very, very loose. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. I, I could see that. I could see that even if you just made it so they've got different, like three different basic spells, that that could make it feel really different. Yeah, and that's something uh, that you know, right now having three basic spells, not that useful. But there are some like with the rune system, you can. I already have some ideas, and I've already implemented some runes into the game that will like make spells like a basic spell much more powerful, but then add a cooldown and maybe a mana cost. So then it becomes more of a utility spell or, or one right. that's not as spammable. So like that sort of stuff again opens up more variety in in your builds. So yeah, I think additional characters would be a good fit. I think it's something that like a lot of roguelikes have, and that people have come to expect. Mm. So that's something else, right? Like trying to balance what I think will be good for the game and what my community wants to see in the game that's something that I'm, I'm getting used to because this is the first time i've ever had sort of any sort of engagement with a community on a on a game that i've made yeah but you, your community is actually i think pretty good like you've got this discord everyone seems actually both respectful and understanding that you're a solo dev and giving very constructive you know and quite novel ideas as well so yeah, yeah i think you've you've done pretty well there Oh no, I'm a I'm a big fan of my community. I I do wish I could be more active, but I find um, it, it's not the community members themselves. It's it's something that I have a problem that I have even in my own social life is there are just days where I don't feel like replying to anybody, right? Mm. Which is tough when you're managing a community. So I have to give a big shout out to our friend uh, Johnson who who runs the. Uh, yeah, Johnson is a fantastic organizer. He is. You know, big up to Johnson. He, he organizes so many things. He organized quarterly make games. He's actually running your community. Like yeah. Yeah, you could say. I mean, <laughs> it's possible that like the game wouldn't exist without Johnson. Really, like uh, his his three month the quarterly made games thing, like that three month time limit was such a revelation for me personally, just to like be able to finish something. So, and yet he's been helping managing the community. He's been he's been a mod. He's been very good at replying to people, especially on Steam. I uh, Steam I find way more intimidating than my own Discord. Uh, people mm. just seem to be. Not everyone, but I've had some comments that are just a lot more vile on Steam. 
people are a lot less understanding, a lot more entitled, I feel like. Not everybody, but there are a couple. And as a dev, even if, if, if you're making anything sort of like creative or if you're putting something out there that you've made, it's, you know, this is nothing new, right? The negative comments get to you a lot more than, you know, even if you have like 90% positive comments, that one negative comment is, is going to get to you. I feel like, yeah. So that's something I just got to get used to, but steam, I've, I, I, I kind of want to be more active on the steam discussions forum, but there are only so many times I can try to explain to people that adding controller support to this game is very, very difficult and not as easy yeah. as people think. The, the controller support, so many people, it, it seems to come up time and time again, but I, I've also, I understand, you know, when you've said why, because I think even Ting asked me, it's like, oh, is he going to add controller support? And it's like, oh, actually, you know, it's difficult because of this. And I like verbatim repeated your <laughs> your answer, which is, yeah, it's designed around mouse and keyboard at the moment and mm. the spell targeting and everything is expecting, you know, a point basically to yeah. find a spell at, not just a direction, but like a literal point. So I can see that it's... You could half-assedly add control support, but maybe it wouldn't feel good. And then do you really want to do that? You know, so... Yeah, you'll get yeah. a backlash. Exactly. Yeah. I would rather be honest and, and you know, say people, tell people that, like, look, it's just not designed for controller. If I can figure out a good solution for it, I'll put it in. Obviously, I'd like to. I would love to have, like, a game of mine on the Switch. That would be sick. But I'm not going to put it in you know, I, if I don't think it can be, it will feel good. And then like, I, I'll feel like I'm lying to people. Like I don't want people to buy the game, expecting it to feel good and responsive on a controller. And then they play it and then they're just completely disappointed. Yeah. I, it's it's going to be a tough decision. Cause I, I do wonder while your game's still in early access and you're still happy to be significantly reworking bits of it. Like, do you ever think that you should rework certain spells such that they would work with a controller? And then you could add control support or is it, you know, you've got the vision and you don't want to compromise it to support a control scheme that, you know, is not what you consider to be the primary control scheme. So I know this is quite a tough question. (laughs) No, that's fine. It's something that I'm struggling with like all the time. And, you know, like Diablo 3 did it uh, eventually. Path of Exile did it eventually. But those guys have teams of people. And I, I think I do have ideas for how to do it. The, the problem is, right, here's how this conversation always goes. I will explain to people that it's very difficult. They will say it's not that difficult. And then I will give them an example of, of why it's not difficult, right? Like I'll say, like, oh, how would you handle, like, the burst spell, which expects, like, a position to be cast? Like, how would you uh, con- yeah. convey player intent? And then they'll give me a solution. I'm like, okay, but then you do realize that there are like a lot of, uh, uh, I think currently there are like 22 spells in the game. I'm going to have to make edge case, program in edge case scenarios for all of those spells. And once I do that, it's not like it ends there. If I ever want to make changes to a spell, if I want to add a new spell, if I ever want to make any sort of changes or additions whatsoever, I ha- I will have to, that's just adding way more work. So what I've been telling people is that I will be looking into it, especially after early access, once I'm like, I have the very core foundation of the game. But right now where I'm going to be adding and changing stuff fairly frequently, it's just going to slow things down way too much. And, you know, I might not ever add controller support. Again, I would love to. I think like it, it it's great for accessibility. It opens up your market, you know, the, the amount of players you're able to reach, it, you know, it, it makes that... Uh, it grows that market so much, right? Like I could have it on different platforms as well. That would be really cool, but it just wasn't mm-hmm. designed. I, I, going forward, any game I make in the future will have controller support because <laughs> I, I cannot deal with this. <laughs> I can't. I don't yeah. want to deal with this uh, this problem anymore. 
You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's the thing. The important thing is to get the message out there and make people understand, like, you really want to add it. And then there will be huge benefits for you personally if you could add it too. It's just that it's really not easy. Yeah. You know, you're not being lazy. You just, it's really hard. Yeah. yeah. And there's always a temptation to be like, well, you, you try it and you do it. But like, I, I mean, I think the bottom line is, yeah, like, you just got to take it in stride I guess, as much as you can and try to explain as calmly as, as possible that like, yeah, I would, like you said, I would love to have it. Other people would love to have it. It's just very difficult. And I'm a solo dev and the game is only $3. Just please just, you know, don't ask too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think we've had a good discussion and I don't want you to you know, I don't want to ask you too much about the future direction of the game because then, you know, maybe you feel like you're making promises that you'll have to fulfill later. <laughs> so <laughs> you are still very active on your Discord about the future direction, I know. So maybe that's where people should go if they want really the most update information. And yeah, Max, obviously, I think I should hand it over to you and you can you can tell people, you know, about your Discord and where to find you uh, on social media and, and any other stuff, you know, you want to say. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, um, yeah, if you if you bought the game on Steam, right, I would advise you not to use the Steam discussion forums. I am much less active there. I would suggest you go to my Discord. Uh, there's a link in the game itself. If you pause the game, there is a join Discord link. Just go there. Everyone in there seems to be pretty friendly. Yeah, I haven't had much trouble at all with people in the Discord. So yeah, just go in there, tell me your thoughts. There's also a channel in the Discord. Uh, several channels. Uh, there's there's one for previews about stuff that's coming up, like you know little videos and snippets of upcoming features. There's a planned changes and features uh, channel where you can see like you know long term bigger features that I'm planning to implement into the game. There are channels where you can you know give me ideas for like spells, emblems, anything you want to see in the game, which I do look at, and I've already implemented quite a few based on community feedback. So you know uh, if you have any ideas, just go over there and and yeah, give them to me. Other than that, I'm fairly active on Twitter. I go by, oh my god, I gotta check. Uh, Real Pigeon or Real Pigeon Games, just one second. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's at Regal Pigeon. So just follow me there. I try to post fairly often on there. So, uh, other than that, I, that's it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have like a Facebook or Instagram or anything. I, I, I try to keep it fairly bare bones with social uh, media. So, yeah. I, I think, I think you're doing, I think you're doing it in a smart way. And your your Twitter is always dropping cool little nuggets and screenshots of upcoming stuff or, you know, I think the things you retweet are, are pretty good and insightful as well. And and on the Discord, you know, there's a lot of stuff on there. Like, the, you didn't even mention the speedruns. You know, I, I have no idea how oh. people are beating the game so fast. Yeah, honestly, neither do I. Uh, because, you know, because it's a pixel art game, I'm not accusing anybody, but it, it, it would be quite trivial to, to change the numbers on that. But like, I, I, I do believe my community, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I find it interesting because speedrunning is not something that I personally enjoy. But I think it's really cool that some people have been, you know, pretty active on the speedrunning side of things. Yeah. And, and you know, if you if you get a speedrun, you get a special role, right? So people, everyone will know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, actually, yeah. So I, I, I'm also going to be trying to add uh, a few quality of life things for speedrunners in the game. Yeah, I, I don't personally speedrun, but I do enjoy watching them. And I, you know what? I should actually start looking up some YouTube bits of how people are doing it because, like, I cannot finish the game in under like 30 minutes, basically. You know, all my runs pretty much come out at that mark. So, uh, yeah, I'm impressed. I don't know how they're doing it. 
Yeah, same. I should do. I'm going to look up some videos after we're done here, actually, because um, yeah, people just upload the screenshots to uh to the Discord. So I, I definitely want to have a look and see if people. Have yeah, you're right. We need videos. we need a higher burden of proof, right? Yeah, Modern speedruns. We, we need the, we need the stream. We need the video evidence. Well, in early access, you know, we can keep it kind of loosey goosey, but definitely for the proper release, I'm going to yeah, be once it's on speedruns.com. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'll say I don't think the game has truly made it until there's a speedrunning scandal. I think that's when you know that the game is, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, What summoning salt <laughs> does the video on your game? Exactly. Yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I'm going to be, like, smiling throughout the entire video if it ever gets made, even though, I don't know, it's probably a very unethical thing to do. But, yeah, I'm, I, I can't wait. Yeah, please, somebody try to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well... To move on to other future things, Ting, the next book club game is your choice. Um, it's going to be Super Auto Pets. <laughs> I, I, I would like to make clear, I did not ask you to do this. You have picked this game of your own volition. Yeah, I have. You, you can't stop hyping this thing up. Yeah, I mean, the, the good thing about making this the book club game, it's very casual. You can play it on your phone while you're on your commute. And I've already played a lot of it, so it's like a freebie for me. So, next time, Super Auto Pets. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on your podcasting platform that you're listening to us on. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Twitch. As Lost Levels Club. Anywhere else? Reddit slash r slash Lost Levels Club. So Mike, what are you grateful for today? I am I'm grateful that one of my friends has had an extremely successful indie game and has agreed to come on this podcast and talk about it. It's Thank the first time. It's the first time we've had uh, an actual dev come talk about their game. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, if you could edit out the extremely and extremely successful, that would be uh, greatly appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, yeah thank you. There's, there's still room. There's still room for you to be ever more successful. I, I'm I'm still waiting for the Northern Lion uh, for the Northern Lion vid. Oh yeah, I can die happily once uh, Northern Lion makes a video on my game. So Michael says bye, bye bye. Oh oh wait, <laughs> oh, yeah. and yeah, Mac and Max. Max says bye too. <laughs> <laughs> bye guys thanks for having me on <laughs>